There's no doubt that small businesses are the foundation of our communities. That's why MasterCard has invested in tools to support small business owners as they grow their business. With MasterCard tools and resources, you can increase sales by shortening checkout time, broadening your customer base, and tapping into new opportunities to increase customer loyalty. So get started. Discover all the ways MasterCard can help guide, grow, and protect your business at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. Zensurance is Canada's leading commercial insurance broker, providing small businesses, startups, and entrepreneurs with the coverage they need. We shop over 50 insurance providers, meaning we help small businesses across hundreds of industries save on their annual premiums. Simply visit zensurance.com forward slash startup, and in just a few minutes, you could save up to 35% on the customized policy you need. That's zensurance.com forward slash startup. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. I'm your host, Rick Spence, business journalist, editor, public speaker, and entrepreneur. After 15 years as the national entrepreneurship columnist at the National Post, and as the former editor and publisher of Profit, the magazine for Canadian entrepreneurs, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, scalable, and successful. On this show, we connect you with Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. You'll meet the people driving the entrepreneurial movement and we'll share their first-person adventures and their tips, hacks, and best advice for running startup and growth companies. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 3.5 million entrepreneurs. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. To entrepreneurs everywhere, this is your show. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Dragon's Den's own Vincenzo Guzzo. Vincenzo is a seasoned entrepreneur whom you may recognize as a dragon from the CBC's weekly show, Dragon's Den. He's president and CEO of Cinemas Guzzo, the largest chain of independent movie theaters in Quebec. Vincenzo's business portfolio includes restaurants, a construction company, an e-commerce gourmet food platform, and his personal fashion and gourmet snack brand, Mr. Sunshine. Vincenzo and his wife Maria fiercely fundraise for charities that tackle cancer and mental health issues through their own Guzzo Foundation. Vincenzo helps entrepreneurs identify opportunities to grow through finding creative solutions, new trends, and encouraging them to take more risks. Vincenzo, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so delighted to have your energy here because you're, you're such a force on the, on, the, on the screen, and I'm sure you're a, a, a just as bring just as much energy to a podcast. I, I call myself a, sub, a, a subtle dragon. A subtle dragon. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and Kevin O'Leary was shy. And, and <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, every once in a while, when I used to watch the show when Kevin was on, I, I would always ask myself, I wonder who's going to show up today. Is it going to be Kevin or one of his... Uh, one of the various people he refers to as being, you know, so. <laughs> that was wonderful. That's right. 
Well, Mr. Sunshine, as a dragon, you're in front of a lot of businesses and entrepreneurs who share their, their plans and their dreams with you. What's the most important thing you want entrepreneurs to know about building a successful business? Uh, that it's a very, uh, very lonely and very, um, it's, a light, it's, a bit of a, uh, it's a bit of a monk's life, if I can say, um, where you think, you know, what you see is all of the glamour, the nice cars, the great, you know, vacation homes and all of the, the truth of the matter is there's a lot more people who have failed at being entrepreneurs than there are successful entrepreneurs. You've got to be somebody special to be an entrepreneur and you've got to have your own unique uniqueness. And when you're unique, it makes you sometimes a little lonely because you can't bond with, with people that are not like you or that don't understand who you are, right? So I think, you know, entrepreneur, anybody who wants to be entrepreneur needs to know it's a, it's a very, it's a very lonely ride. Um, and, and don't expect the finish line to be the uh, Oscar or the winning, you know, the, the thing that will make your ride memorable. Uh, what will make your ride memorable is the ride. So just enjoy the ride along the way because that finish line is going to move. Uh, as you get close to it every time. Absolutely. Enjoy the ride along the way. Sort of like parenting in a way. My kids are mostly grown now. So when I meet someone who still has young kids, I think, oh man, <laughs> savor every minute. And they say, what the heck are you talking about? Uh, but it's absolutely true. The, 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 the journey is, is, is the reward. Absolutely. Yeah. No, you're right about your analogy. I mean, it's, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize that being a parent may be one of the most, uh, I guess, gratifying, but, but, but not, not very, you know, it's, it's a very awkward thing. I got five kids. So, you know, it's, a, it's almost like you're raising them to let go of you. Right. And, and so it's awkward because then when they do leave, then you say to yourself, yeah, but wait up a minute. Like, why, why did you leave? Like now that we have this bond together, you, you know, you know, you've gone off and created your own family, your own nucleus. Right. Um, and that is some of the disappointments, you know, that you're going to get some of the loneliness you're going to feel when you, through the, through the, the journey you're going to do as an entrepreneur will come across, you know, uh, collaborators. And then one day they're a collaborator and years later they, they moved on to something else, but you're left on your journey. That's right. So it, 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 it takes a real sense of self. And I would guess, you know, an ability to, to, to nurture relationships, to, to be a good, effective entrepreneur for the long term, because you've got to be able to welcome new people into the fold and you've got to be able to let them go. And then they can actually become part of your network. And, and, and not only that, you've got to be able to inspire them. What's the difference between 20 years ago and today? Well, 20 years ago was what's the salary? You know, what's the job stability? Today instead is... Can you inspire me? Can you give me a reason? Can you, know, can you give me your vision and can you portray the passion for your vision? And, not, and it's not only about a job. It's not only about the salary I make. I've seen a lot of people uh, uh, take less paying jobs in the last 18 months because they've you know, been, been traumatized by COVID and, and so that it's changed their way of seeing things. I recently met my first CPO, the chief purpose officer right. at a company. And wow. that was new to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but it, it is, uh, like I said, you know, if you look at some of the great success stories that we all point our fingers at, you know, I, you know, I'd like to say that, you know, a guy like 
Steve Jobs, right? You know, there's always two sides to, to greatness. There's the tyrant side to it. You know, he was a very tough boss. He was a, a guy who demanded perfection, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But on the flip side, he inspired a lot of people. He, 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 you know, instilled in his team the same drive, vision, purpose that he felt Apple needed. Um, and, 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 at a, and at a certain point in the history of Apple, he was unappreciated and he was canned and, and he was let go and, and he was thrown out of his own company. And then to be begged to come back and, and create the monster that, uh, that Apple is today, even after he's gone, right? So, so a lot of people need to realize that, you know, there's, there's, um, there's always two sides to, to that journey. There's the glamour side and then there's the tough side. There's the hard, cruel side of the journey sometimes. Absolutely, absolutely. Tell us a little bit about your journey. A lot of people probably think they know you from seeing you regularly on TV, but uh, and they may know a little bit about your history in the family business. How do you tell your story? I like to say, you know, I'm uh, I'm the son of uh, Italian immigrants. Uh, I was born in Canada, and uh, I'm I'm an only child. Uh, my parents had other children who, regretfully, because of uh, uh, medical conditions, did not survive. So I uh, saw that. And, and, and probably affected me to the point that that's why I had uh, five kids of my own. Uh, because the thing I would wish for at Christmas every time was if I could only have a brother or a sister so that I could share things with, I, you know, I guess the next step is I was headed to, you know, so I was Harvey Specter from Suits before Harvey Specter even, even existed, right? So the concept of Harvey Specter, I always like to say somebody must have read my mind and realized who I wanted to be. Uh, when I grew up. So I was not headed to be an entrepreneur. I was headed to be a lawyer, a litigator in New York City. That was my goal. Uh, and it's my dad that said to me, look, you know, you're an only child. We built, you know, the, the, the few theaters we own here and we started this venture. If you're not going to give it a shot, we might as well sell out and maybe move with you in New York and, and that was going to cramp my style because that wasn't what Harvey Specter was about, right? So I go, Great. I got to find a way why these guys are not going to move with me. But so I, I basically gave it a shot and I said, you know what? I'll give you a year and, and I'll see if, um, you know, how much I like it. Um, because I did, you know, I did work in the family business before, uh, you know, as a theater manager, I was an usher, you know, I, so I did all kinds of stuff. But uh, it was never seen as a permanent thing, right? So for me and, and my dad, you know, my dad owned uh, – a single house, and then he made a, a three-screen complex out of it, and so forth and so forth. So, you know, uh, I knew the business. I had seen how tough it was for my parents. I had seen, you know, the bullying of, you know, back then, Odeon and United Theaters, um, mm -hmm. you know. And so I said to myself, I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I want to make this my life, right? Uh, but at the age of 21, 22, uh, after Western, and before finishing law school, I was convinced to give it a shot. And then I, and very quickly, I realized that I was doing more litigating for my own theater company than I was had I been a litigator for other people. Just to remind people what that was about was in the old days, those two national chains controlled everything on every screen basically in Canada. And you went out and challenged that and used your legal chops to cut them down to size. Well, not only that, I mean, one of the funniest thing in the world was when I actually 
had the argument with the studios and tried to convince the So, you know, uh, uh, the Competition Bureau has looked at the Canadian movie industry more than once. Uh, and in the past, it, it got commitments from the various exhibitors and distributors that they would put a valid effort in trying to democratize or create more competition within the, the, uh, the industry. The problem is that it was always seen as the barriers to enter, entry were being created by uh, movie distributors, right? So the Warner Brothers of this world or the Paramounts of this world. Uh, in reality, what had happened was that there were two national players who, whether willfully, whether by coincidence, whether they went to Cuba and made a deal a handshake deal, we don't know. But what we do know <clears throat> is that if you took a newspaper and you looked at one specific market for the last, you know, when I lodged my complaint, it was 1998, but uh, for the last 10 years, so from 88 to 98, if you took one given market and where there was both these competitors in that market, what you would have noticed was that every single Paramount picture, no matter, there was not one exclusion to it, only always played at exhibitor A. And then, for example, Warner Brothers French movies played only at exhibitor B. And it never, never, never happened in 10 years that one of those exhibitors played a movie from, right? And so it was pretty clear from my economics degree and from doing the analysis that there was a division of product, a split of product. Um, and so when we lodged our complaint, it was basically contrary to all of the previous complaints. It was not towards the US distributors, but it was actually towards our two competitor exhibitors. And we were accusing them of creating barriers to entry, which was very novel because the studios felt at first, oh, Guto's coming after us. And then when they read the action probably, they said, wait up a minute, they're not coming after us. No, all I want from you guys is the data. Uh, and basically, I had portrayed the studios as hostages, whether willfully or not, uh, willful hostages in a, in, a, in a market split. And so that fell. And once that fell, that's when Cinema Guzzo was able to, uh, uh, to grow uh, in a significant way and very quickly to what it is today, which is, you know, the third largest exhibitor in Canada. Um, the second largest Canadian-owned exhibitor in Canada. And, and so customers, uh, you know, customers also have a lower uh, admission price in markets where my theaters are versus where my theaters aren't. Fantastic. Entrepreneurs at their best, they disrupt the, the crony systems and they bring new innovation and new value. If they can't, then obviously they're not going to be embraced by the public. So you're a tremendous example of that. I've got to ask you, you know, looking ahead now, you know, what's the future of movies in this era of Netflix and Disney Plus? You know, first and foremost, uh, you know, Netflix is uh, a very powerful competitor to TV. Uh, and, and we have to make that distinction. Um, okay. Netflix is, in my mind, a competitor to cable TV or to any other form of regular TV. It's a stay-at-home entertainment. And, and, and by such... It's not really a competitor to the movie-going experience. Yes, it could be a competitor the same way video was, the same way America's Got Talent can be, 
right? When it becomes the number one show, for example, on a Thursday night. So nobody's going to the movies on a Thursday night because they got to watch this show. Um, but in all intents and purposes, thanks to Netflix and thanks to streaming, today you can miss your TV show when it's being aired and rewatch it later on. So you can go to the movies whenever you want. So at, at certain awkward, funny levels, you know, Netflix and streaming have actually freed people to be able to go to the movies whenever they please to go and not only on the weekends when you'll notice most TVs, uh, TV stations or TV networks don't have their best uh, drawing shows. Right. Um, and so, you know, that's that definition. As for Disney Plus and whatever, well, I think they've learned very quickly that believing that you can release a movie in theater and at the same time on a streaming platform will not get you the same return on your investment as if you had only gone to theatrical and then went to PVOD and then went to BOD and then went to streaming and then went to TV. In other words, people need to realize that movies cost more and more an enormous amount of money to make. And the only way to maximize revenue is to actually take advantage of all of the various revenue streams at a given time and at a specific exclusivity for those. In other words, I think Disney Plus learned because of COVID uh, and while they thought they were going to put movie theaters on their knees, what they've learned is you can't make money off a movie that costs you $200 million by showing it on Disney Plus. It doesn't work. The, 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 the numbers won't work. Uh, and they've learned that, so they've removed that now, right? So right now, Disney has announced that it will no longer be releasing day and date simultaneously uh, movies in theater and on their platform. They will give a window, whether that window is 45 days, 90 days, that is the discussion that is ongoing. Does that make you breathe a little easier now, having that assurance? Well, more than make me breathe a little easier, uh, what, it, what it is is, is, is a sort of a bittersweet revenge because <laughs> what I've always said about the movie business, I said, you know, the movie business is a very awkward place. It's one of those places that when you do something amazing, you're tooting your horn and you're probably exaggerating how well you did, right? Uh, so the average person will only tell you about that amazing oil stock they bought that, uh, at 50 cents and now is worth $500 a share. Nobody will ever tell you about when they bought GE at 120 bucks and it went down to five bucks. So the movie industry is the same way. If it believes it's doing something amazing, it will toot its horn. The minute it makes a mistake, it just goes on the silence side. So what I couldn't understand is the various tests that were done in Portugal and various markets to test streaming and movie theaters day and day at the same time. The data was never revealed to us. The data was never published. The data was never shared. And that usually means that the data is not conclusive or is actually even worse than that, conclusive the other way, not to their advantage. So we're gonna hide it, right? So the, the legal background in me, the lawyer in me says, if you find evidence that would make your, your client guilty, you sort of, even though we're not supposed to say this, we sort of forget that we saw it. And that's exactly what the studios did for a long, long time. Now, COVID brought in another opportunity. They were saying, look, we're not really hurting theaters by, by releasing on a platform because we got to release something. 
do you think movie movie going will get back to where it was before the uh, before COVID? Well, you know what I can tell you is this: I don't see fifteen, sixteen year olds going on their first date in their parents' living room. <laughs> All right, so I I think you know I've I've flown around this country often enough since Dragons Den to be told by tons of people. You know, your movie theater was the first place I worked or your movie theater was the first date I went on or et cetera, et cetera. And, and so what you realize over time is that movie theaters are a creator of dreams, of, of memories, of, of nostalgia. Do we love our homes or are we content by what we have in our homes? And when we go out, we're going out for an experience, for experiencing something else that we don't have at home, right? I mean, I, the best example I can give you is we all have a kitchen at home, yet it hasn't stopped us from going to restaurants on a very regular basis. Right. Uh, right. And, and we can cook for a tenth of the price. Why would we go to a restaurant and get charged 10 times more? Was well, because of the experience, because of the socializing, because sometimes I want to watch a movie that's going to make me cry with 200 other people, but I don't want to shake hands with anybody. I don't want to have to say hi to anybody. And maybe I want to be afraid with other people, uh, in, in, you know, watching Halloween or a movie. Uh, and so, you know, I think that the day humans are no longer humans, movie theaters will disappear. But as long as humanity exists as a social being, I think movie theaters will exist in one form or another. I hope so. I, I, I hope that never changes. It's, it's not as much fun watching Black Widow on a tiny screen. I, I agree with you. And, 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 you know, and I always say the difference between in-home theater and going to the theater is 12 times. It's basically you're talking in inches at home and I'm talking in feet at, uh, at the theater, right? You got a 42-inch uh, uh, TV. I got a 42-foot uh, 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 screen at a movie theater, let's say, right? So that's the – and that in 12 times is a big difference. Do you see any possibilities of expanding outside of Quebec? You know, I think opportunities are always being thrown at me. I think that uh, – you know, uh, it, it's been a, a wake-up call for a lot of people. I think a lot of landlords are going to realize they're going to end up with having to redefine some of the layout of their malls. So they're going to have opportunities for movie theaters to open. I think Cineplex will take the opportunity to close down a lot of their less performing theaters. Will that create opportunities? That mean, you know, meaning that certain markets will no longer be as saturated in screens mm -hmm. probably you know i mean i can tell you that we've you know i've, I've visited the maritimes i've visited alberta bc uh, uh, more often than i thought i would in the last 18 months during a pandemic oh that, that, that sounds very promising let me switch gears and ask you about dragon's den so you've been on for i guess three years now do you know how many deals you've actually done so and are there some that really stand out for you so I'm now in my fourth season, right? So season 16, and, and it's, or it's on uh, Thursday nights uh, on, uh, on CBC. And uh, more than memorable deals, what I'll tell you is I'll tell you there's three deals that I can talk of because they are past deals. They are season 13, 14, and 15 deals. Um, and then there's, you know, two deals this year, but those I can't talk about because technically um, – we have to, you know, they haven't been aired, but it happened I, yet. Yes. <laughs> uh, I would tell you my, my, my two favorite deals. Um, yeah. 
out of all of them is um, a t-shirt deal that I did with a, with a young guy called Paul. I was a partner of mine now and it's, uh, and it's called Rudy Ladd and, and, he's, and he's the funniest guy and, and, and I, his energy and his ability to get celebrities involved and excited about the brand is unbelievable. I mean, the guy is, you know, uh, uh, if, if ever the t-shirt business didn't work for us, I'd hire him to do something else in my, in my team or, or I'd make sure we worked together on other projects. Then I have um, an awkward deal because <clears throat> this was actually a deal that was not done on Dragon's Den. And I mean, what I mean by that is I offered a deal. I was turned down. The three sisters left without a deal because they didn't take my deal. And that was that deal was called Real Layers. Uh, but we revisited that uh, last year off air, obviously, because we didn't. Uh, and we actually did a deal. And it's now a company called Good Pantry, which um, is going to explode in the next few months uh, with the uh, uh, it's basically an icing, a cake icing uh, company. But what they've managed to do, those three girls, is create uh, a shelf-stable, 100% real butter uh, product that uh, shelf-stable outside of the, uh, of the refrigerated space. So that's amazing because it redefines that whole category. And then one of the, th uh, the third deal that I'm just excited about because I love John. John's a great guy. It's lateral rail. And I'm really trying to get this deal done, but you know, Sorry, right, say the name again. Uh, ladder rail. Ladder uh, rail. Yeah, and that's also a deal that I believe was in season thirteen. And it's basically, it's a concoction that goes on top of a ladder that allows you to go as high up as possible on that ladder while still having uh, something to balance yourself on, uh, versus just being, you know, five feet seven inches floating in the air like that and hoping that you don't lose your balance off that uh, that. Uh, second to last step uh, on the ladder. Uh, so, you know, that one there, is, you know, has been, it's been a little more problematic for us to get into stores right now just because of the whole COVID situation. But we expect that product to come in. So, and, and, and all three of those deals, and even the, the other two deals that I did in season 16, it's all about the people. It's all about the entrepreneurs. It's all about the relationship we have. Uh, uh, between ourselves, between our team, and 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 the the positive energy uh, uh, that they bring to the table, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm an old soul. I'm 52 years old, and sometimes I feel I'm 72 years old. And so, being around some of them make gives me hope that I'm not an old man, and, and gives me hope to to say, hey, you know what? There's, there's a few more deals in me that I can get done. And so, you know, they're they're just amazing people, and I think that. Um, you know, I, I'm honored and, and, and I enjoy mentoring them and I enjoy being their partner. You mentioned energy, I think. What is it about an entrepreneur that makes you want to go into business with them, to, to be around them, to work with them? You know, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm going to answer you, but I'm not going to answer you. And, and what I mean by that is I'm going to answer you by giving you an example. You know, a lot of people try and make a distinction between a partnership in business and a friendship in your personal life or a marriage in your personal life. But it isn't. The truth of the matter is at 52 years old, uh, I'm not interested to be part of a, a project, a deal where 
it's like a horrible marriage where I'm looking for a divorce, uh, you know, where I'm just, I'm avoiding the meeting or I'm, I just don't want to go there. I need to go to stuff that makes me happy. I need to go to stuff that gives me energy. And by that, what I mean is somebody who actually believes that, believes first and foremost in their dream, then are not dreamers. Because you got to remember, believing in your dream and being a dreamer are two different things. Right. But then you've got to be able to make me believe that you can do it. And all you need, you know, it's, it's almost like, why do you put so much energy when your child's three, four, five, six months old and trying to help them to learn how to walk, right? It's sort of like you put all of that energy, but at the end of the day, it's your child who's accomplished something. But you know you were a part of it, right? So I need to have that kind of a bond with the entrepreneurs that I do business with. Sometimes, you know, we have entrepreneurs who have amazing project, uh, products or companies, but you get worried, right? You tell yourself, why do I want to get involved in a, in a marriage where I know it's going to end up in disaster? Or why do I want to end up in a relationship where this person is not looking for an investor? This person is looking for a co-founder. And do I have the time to be a co-founder with somebody who's not coachable or does not want to be coachable, right? And that's where sometimes uh, 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 the analysis that we need to do, how much pushback is there? How much negativity is there? How much willingness to learn, to absorb, to, to be like a sponge and acquire from me or from my team the knowledge that they need to make their company flourish and their project and our partnership work. Did you have to find this out the hard way or did you sort of already know it? Had life already taught you this? No, I'm an only, so, so, you know, I started off by telling you I was an only child. And when you're an only child, one thing happens is that you trust a lot very early on in your life because you see the bond other siblings have amongst themselves and you want that bond. And because life is done that way, you get disappointed, right? So uh, what I've learned to do in life is to drop my expectation levels. Uh, if I have zero expectations, I cannot be disappointed. Uh, but have I tried to help people and then I've been, you know, uh, I guess, offended, insulted, you know, not appreciated? Yes, it's happened to me. It's happened to me in a, in a deal where I offered a deal uh, last season, season 15, and, and while the the, the people accepted the offer at a later date. They walked away from the deal, not because the deal wasn't good, not because they felt the deal wasn't well evaluated or that I wasn't bringing enough to the table. It's because I was a man. Uh, and therefore it was probably one of the most awkward moments of my life because I, one of the rarest times that I've been discriminated against uh, for being a man, I was being told by somebody that because I was a man, yeah, they didn't feel right that I sh could be partners 50-50 with them. I was then further surprised in that deal when I was, you know, looking through social media and I, and I saw a comment where somebody said, uh, referred to my offer as a dubious offer. Uh, and obviously I used the word dubious in a very negative connotation. So I was surprised. I, I don't get it. I'm the only dragon who gave you an offer. All the other dragons didn't even think <laughs> 
getting an offer and you're calling my offer dubious? Like, honestly, wow. Like, I mean, you know, I, I just can't believe it. So, you know, I've been disappointed. I've, I've learned it the hard way, uh, but I'm still learning every day. It's fantastic. We've seen that Dragon's Den has made stars out of a lot of people. Um, yep. Has it changed your life at all? Well, m- m- my wife uh, reminds me every so often that um, she's, she doesn't think I'm such a big deal. So I guess it's, you know, she's the reinforcing factor there telling me to settle down a little. Uh, but um, I, I was, a priv- I was a, one of the privileged businessmen in, in Montreal and in Quebec because I had a certain facility in communicating with the media. So since 1998, <clears throat> I've had a Montreal, call it Quebec, platform. And so I was used to a certain celebrity status, if I can use the word celebrity with a small c. So when I went to Dragon's Den, uh, I knew what was coming. I knew that, you know, the, the, the fact that people were going to recognize me in the streets or whatever, whatever. Uh, I just hadn't realized how powerful Dragon's Den was. So, you know, when I'm walking in a, <clears throat> an airport in Vancouver, which is not my province, which is not my city, and I've got you know, 15-year-olds and 18-year-olds stopping and saying, hey, you're Mr. Sunshine, and they're, like, wanting to take pictures. Well, that doesn't happen in Montreal or didn't happen in Montreal before Dragon's Dance. So that sort of awareness uh, uh, is, is very flattering. The other thing that being on Dragon's Den has done is it's allowed me to travel the country. And so I've learned that as much as we are sort of being sold on the fact that Canada is – a bunch of regions just amalgamated together. You know, I, I think that um, if we traveled more across our own country, we would realize that Alberta has a lot more in common with Quebec than it believes, and Quebec has a lot more in common with, uh, 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 with the Maritimes and with Alberta and, and, and vice versa. So, yes, we do have our regional differences, but we have a common ground, which is we are all Canadians. And I believe that we all want the same at the end of the day. We just sometimes want to get there a different way. And that's something I learned because of the travel. By traveling there, I learned that, you know, uh, uh, oil is way more present in our lives than we believe. And, and that sometimes we're trying to simplify stuff by saying, you know, by reducing the amount of cars on the road, we're going to save the planet and we, we're not going to you know, be needing oil anymore. Well, you know, guys, I think we got to remember that oil is part of the seats we're sitting on. Oil is part of the uh, PVC shovel that we use. Oil is part of many of the products that we use on a regular basis. So before we trash oil, let's sit down and, and, and so, believe it or not, through the years, I've become an oil man. I've become a man who believes heavily in oil. And I believe that, you know, there's a way of being green and being uh, 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 responsible towards Alberta and towards our natural resources and being responsible towards the world and the planet. I only learned that by traveling and, and that I owe uh, a Dragon's Den, that privilege of having been able to travel across uh, the country because I guess everybody does this in their own country, right? The last person you want to ask where to go in Italy is an Italian guy. Because he'll say, I don't know, I, I live where I live, and that's it, right? So, and so when I go back to Italy, I go 
uh, uh, visit my family there. So I go in one town. That's where I stick around. But because of Dragon's Den, because of opening up pizzerias, because of buying equipment directly from suppliers in Italy, it's allowed me to travel Italy and realize how, an, how much of an amazing country Italy is, not only for its historic beauty, but for its food, for its culture, for its people. And I agree with you that it's just so important to travel and see more of this country. I know so many people who've never been out to the Maritimes from the West or even from Ontario. And, you know, a lot of people who have never been to Manitoba or Saskatchewan because they're in a hurry to get to Banff. So uh, I, I do want to see more people travel across the country and, and discover this for themselves because that, that's so important. You're right. I wanted to ask you about something, a concept that I think is really important to you, and that's a growth mindset. Can you tell me what that is? Because it sounds like I know what it is, but I'm not sure what, I'm, I'm not sure what you think it is, and I'm sure you've given it more thought than I have. Well, so, so the truth of the matter is, you know, if you go back to the comment I made about that finish line, right? Uh, I think people believe that things are done you know, because, you know, I guess it's partially due to our upbringing in schools, right? So you study, you write an exam, after you wrote the exam, you've achieved something. And now you move to step two, you know, now you're in grade two, and then you go to grade three. And then when you get to university, you're expect, you know, so, so because of that systematic, very organized scholastic system, I think people believe that's what life is. Right, so you, you gotta get a degree, you gotta get a job, then you gotta get yourself a, a partner, and then you gotta get married, and then you gotta have kids, and all of that's gotta be done before the age of 35. And then once you've done that, then you're gonna buy a home, and then you're gonna like coast till retirement age. And there's almost this feeling that once you've achieved certain things, you, you're done. You now just coast and enjoy. You know, so the expression I used was don't expect, you know, to get to that finish line because what's going to happen is that finish line is going to move. And, and think about it this way. If you were in university, you probably said to yourself, you know, if I could only have $10 million, I wouldn't even have to work anymore and I would just coast and I'd just be the happiest guy in the world. As you're building your wealth to get to that $10 million number, you don't realize that your cost of living has gone up. Your 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 tastes have changed, what you, what you do for enjoyment, what you do for satisfaction has changed. And then the day you get to the $10 million valuation, you're going to realize that $10 million isn't enough. And now you're going to need $100 million. And then once you're nearing the $100 million, you're going to say, you know what, $100 million isn't enough because I now fly private or now I have five cars instead of one. And now I have eight country homes instead of just uh, uh, none type of thing. And so all of a sudden, your quest for more increases, right? And it's the same thing for knowledge, right? So many times you'll notice that the deals I try and do on Dragon's Den have a connection to some of the businesses that I already run. So what I'm trying to do is take synergies, put them together, take geniuses from one element or one company and marry them to another one. And, and so... In some senses, I'm like a chemist. I try and create the perfect, you know, evil genius. 
uh, and create that, that amazing uh, synergy or company. And so you're always learning. Every day when I go into the office, I go in with the belief that hopefully I'm going to learn something today. Or what am I going to learn today? Because the truth of the matter is that as much as we believe that running our companies is a linear operation once we've achieved a certain level of success, it isn't. People change. Society changes, right? So, and I guess one of the best examples I can give you is Titanic versus Avatar. So when I asked James Cameron, how do you feel when you have the number one and two largest grossing pictures? Yeah, pretty good. I'm <laughs> trying to work on number three, he tells me, right? So I said, I'm okay. So, but how did you do it? Like, how did you come up with two movies that are so different and made them number one and number two? And he looked at me and he said, you're kidding me, right? So, okay, you're a natural. That's what you're going to tell me. Says, no, you know, it's the same story, right? Says, what do you mean? You ever hear of Romeo and Juliet? Yeah, stop being a smart ass and just answer the question. I'm asking, <laughs> I like, and he goes, it's Romeo and Juliet told differently for a different crowd. A different wow, I never picked up on that at all. <laughs> I did, well, think about it, right? It's, it's forbidden love, two different classes, right? Yeah, in an exotic setting that's incredible to watch. That, that ends an unbelievable, you know, remember, movies are not supposed to end tragically. They're supposed to end positively. Right? They're supposed to walk away in the sunset in love, holding hand by hand. Well, that didn't happen in either of those movies. And ultimately, that's what it is, right? So storytelling evolves. So you need to have that growth mindset. You need to evolve. Because what was sexy and desirable when I was 18 may be repulsive and totally you know, unwanted or undesired today, right? And, and, and that's why many times, you know, people of my generation will look at our kids and say, we were way more mature than them at that age, were we not? But yet, they have access to way more knowledge than we've ever had access to. They have access, you know, like, I had to go to a library to have an encyclopedia. My son just opens up his phone and, and he looks at Google, right? But on the flip side, it also makes him look at Google and Dr. Google and all of a sudden a simple headache becomes a, a, a cancer brain tumor, right? And so and now you realize that sometimes the too much knowledge, not looked at it properly, could become a problem, right? So we're evolving. We're growing. One of the things I always like to do on the growth mindset is I always tell myself, what do you mean there's a new iPhone that came out? I want it. I want to see what's so different about it. What's, what's, why is it? Why did they move from 11 to 12, 12 to 13? And then I put them next to each other and I said, but they didn't do anything. It's the same thing. Yeah, I know, they just changed the number and got you to spend an extra 1,500 bucks. And those guys are good, man. We got to learn their marketing talents, right? There was a time where the mindset was, if the product was a good product, a quality product, you would transcend time. Then we went through a phase where cheap, inexpensive, disposable, that's okay. You know, Apple came around and said, we're going to make a quality product and we're going to make it look even more quality minded by making this amazing, incredible package that the minute you pick up that box, 
and you want to open it, you feel like you're opening up a million dollars worth of technology. Um, wow, like this is like amazing. I feel gratified, right? And that is what going indirectly to the movies is about, right? It's the experience. It's how do I feel when I go watch a movie, right? I'm sitting in an auditorium. I always like to say that if what caught your eye in a movie is the cinematographic angles of the camera and, and, and how the, the sound was treated and the effect were handled and so forth, that means that you, you missed the point of the movie because the movie was supposed to make you escape from your everyday life for an hour and a half, two hours. It was you dreaming with your eyes open. How's about that, right? So the way of doing that changes, right? So if, if we look at my competitors, they decided to open up huge food courts in their movie theaters. I instead chose to open up these huge arcades and, and I have full-fledged bumper cars and carousels in my theaters, which means... I associate going to the movies more like going to the amusement park. They associate it more like going to the restaurant. Well, now I'm competing restaurants or restaurants are competing me versus there's not that many amusement parks competing me. So that's from learning and from forcing myself to say, no, I got to learn something from this deal. I got to learn something from this experience. What so, I so I always thought the growth mindset, or I, I just sort of figured that it would be about thinking bigger, but um, you're telling me it's really about expanding your whole mind and saying, what can I learn from this? Where is this going to take me next? Well, let's put it this way. If you could, you know, if you could exercise your mind and go from an IQ of 50 to 250, indirectly, what you've done is you've expanded your horizons, you've expanded your expectations, you've expanded your potential, right? You've done with what I would call think big, right? Because you know you can achieve it. But if, if you've got a small mindset and if you're thinking, I know what I know, I've learned what I've learned from, you know, and I graduated from grade 12 and that's all I'm ever going to learn. Well, yeah, I mean, for sure you're, limiting your potential but by growing you know so for me every time somebody in my family whether directly or indirectly fell sick to the point that they needed medical help i was always there for them and i was always there questioning the doctors and today i invest in the medical space because i think there's a lot of money to be made there i think there's a lot of uh, uh potential i think there's a lot of growth in that space the only reason I could imagine being in the medical space is because I actually educated myself about the medical space. The only reason why I could be in the restaurant space is because I actually went to restaurants, was there as a customer, and then said, why is it that you guys open and close, and why are the bankruptcy rates so high in restaurants? There's something wrong with this model that you guys are not doing right, right? And then I go there, and, and now I'm in that business. And, and Hopefully, I'm doing it better than most, and hopefully, I'll do it as amazingly as Jim Tree Living did, uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, the mindset of thinking big is about learning. You can't, you can't think big and stop at just thinking big without backing it up. Thinking big, the, the big mindset, positive thinking, those are all great, but you got to back it up.
Because at the end of the day, it's all about the substance. Vince, we got to go, but very quickly, what's next for you? What are, what's the next big opportunity you see on your horizon? Well, what was, what was Scarface's uh, model? The world is yours. It's there. It's ripe for the taking. So, you know, uh, uh, I would tell you uh, the retail food space is a big thing for us these days. The theater business will always be in, in my heart and will be a, an important part of the business. More real estate. Uh, believe it or not, brick and mortars isn't going anywhere. Uh, more residential real estate. People have to live somewhere. Final question for you, Vince. Is there one final actionable piece of advice that you'd like to offer our entrepreneurial listeners uh, that they could take away from this conversation and implement in their businesses immediately? I would tell them, just do it. Stop procrastinating, thinking you're going to get the perfect business plan, and then you're going to start? Because that's like you in high school saying, I'm going to work on my term paper, and then it's the night before you're cramming for it. So you might as well have crammed six months earlier. You could have maybe reviewed it, and maybe you would have learned something along the way. Because let's be honest, for every negative pitch, for every no, for every failure, whether you appreciate it or not, you've learned something. And if you haven't, that means you're not looking for the lesson. That means you're just looking for compensation or you're just looking for uh, uh, blaming, pointing a finger to somebody else. The truth of the matter is, every fa- so for example, I'll end with this. COVID-19 is a lesson for all of us. It's a lesson on how to manage finances, how to manage the unexpected, and to realize that nothing in life is guaranteed. That's well, it's a real pleasure to spend some time with someone who, who really understands entrepreneurship and innovation and sees the opportunities around us and you know just understands that with a, a little change of mindset, we can actually start grasping these opportunities and getting things right. So thank you so much for giving us a share of that Guzzo energy. Uh, it's been great talking to you. We've been talking to Vince Guzzo, the president and CEO of Cinema Guzzo, and of course, uh, the, uh, one, one of the dragons on Dragon's Den this season. So follow him along every week. Vince, thank you so much for, the, for, for, for this great session. And we'll talk again. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us this week in the Startup Canada podcast, a weekly show dedicated to unlocking the potential of every entrepreneur. Stay tuned another minute to hear the latest startup community news and the upcoming events lineup, including our hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time. I sometimes show up there too. Until next week, I'm your Startup Canada podcast host, Rick Spence.